Ladies and gentlemen, it's the time you've all been waiting for. It's episode six of the Bee Church Podcast. To find out more about the Bee Church Network and what we do, stick around until the end of the podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Alex Marriott. I'm the community catalyst for the Bee Church Network. This episode is part one of a two-part conversation between Pastor Mark Gordon and Dr. Bill Hogg. Bill is a former radio host, pastor, professor, conference speaker, and has authored books on prayer, youth culture, and is currently writing a primer on evangelism. He is a gifted evangelist whose major focus is on raising up and equipping the whole next generation of evangelists wherever he goes. Be that launching Youth for Christ in his native Scotland, or as a faculty in Aero Leadership Ministries, Please enjoy this informative and entertaining conversation with Mark Gordon and Bill Hogg. I have with me today a, uh, a man that I met a few years ago. We have a lot of people in common that we fellowship with. And, uh, and so, Bill, welcome to the podcast. We're just really excited that you agreed to come. Thanks, Mark. Good to be with you today. Looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, and I want to just give a little context for those listeners, uh, you know, a little bit here. My background is that I have been in almost every situation. I grew up in the church and left it, so I'm a, I was a dun. Um, I have uh, came to a very miraculous salvation in Christ, and, and um, it changed our lives. And so my wife and I uh, got saved the first, same day, a thousand kilometers apart, if you can imagine, the very same morning. Uh, and uh, it was a very dramatic story, And uh, but the Lord was good to us. And so it didn't happen right away, but in our healing journey and in our, in our walk with Jesus, he started to lead us into uh, just having a broken heart for young people who were struggling. And so we started a youth church, and this is back when youth church language wasn't out, uh, in fact, I remember getting called up in front of the ministerial of the town I was in and them kind of questioning me and asking me, uh, what is this an outreach? Is it a church? Is it like, what is this? And they were trying to get me to give it definition. All I knew is I loved young people and I wanted them to know Jesus. <laughs> so we saw 10% of the youth population in that community come to Christ in three years. So we had a great, tremendous move of the Lord in it. But as I... Uh, moved from there and I moved into uh, working in the community primarily and then 16 years ago I was asked to come pastor a church in Kelowna and of course now I'm in kind of the more traditional or the North American model of church and I remember God speaking to me specifically Bill and saying I want you to upset the apple cart without bruising apples. Wow and that's I didn't a know how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, what I felt was is that it was uh, you know it, it needed a lot of living water. How you how you you know take care of apples is put them in water, and so anyway. Uh, but as I found out in the last years, uh, that's not an easy thing to do. So today's conversation is really talking about how do we reframe the church into uh, first of all revitalizing renewing the call to evangelism that number one how do we you know we got to get stop nasal gazing and start to get 
our eyes on on the mission of God. And so I just wonder, Bill, like in your experience and in your bio is extensive, you're a missiologist, obviously mission is, God's mission is very important to you. How do we get the church of North America out of, you know, is it even possible? Can, can we do it without blowing them up or, or how do we do this? Well, that, that's a huge, that's a huge question, Mark, because I mean, we've, we've got to have a sober sense that to call the established ossified church to fresh missional engagement means deep change and deep renewal. And frankly, most churches prefer slow death, vote for slow death rather than deep change. So that, that's the reality. Jim Collins is not a theologian. He's a leadership guru. And he says, confront the brutal fact. So the brutal facts are, by and large, the North American church has lost sight of Jesus and his gospel, and the prospect of change is perilous. Robert Quinn's written Deep Change, and he he's basically says, you know, to my mind, he evokes that poem by Robert Frost, Two Roads Diverge in the Middle of the Night. So you and I are wandering through a forest trail, and we come to a, a leafy Y-junction. And you've got the choice of the hell of slow death or the hell of deep change. So, so change is painful because for a church that's off gospel, full of grumpy people, or they've lost their optimism about the transforming power of Jesus, it requires deep change. And, and not just tinkering with the structure, although we can talk about the necessity of structural change, but Church transformation means I need to be changed. And Peter Senge said, people don't resist change. They resist being changed. So, uh, for example, Bill Eason, who's written about what we used to call turnaround churches, which don't quite nail what we're talking about, but it's helpful because turnaround churches is a reinflation of the old metrics, perhaps. Uh, But Bill Eason, in his book, the second resurrection tells us that 75% of church transformation projects fail. Right. And related to that, probably 75% of the leaders who are dumb enough and brave enough to respond to the call of Jesus get fired. So, so it's a perilous prospect. It doesn't mean we uh, insult the bride or negate the bride, but we need to wake up to the fact that, you know, right. resurrection's required. So Esam says, you know, what if we're not sick? And you and I will recall a lot of church health speak. We went from church growth to church health. But he says, what if it's worse than we actually imagine? And we need a resurrection. Um, we need a resurrected leader. So so there's the need for deep renewal. Uh, right. To, to get up, be, you know, and I, I think missional engagement can precipitate renewal, but why would you even go on mission if you've lost sight of Jesus, if your right. first love is a fleeting memory? So I think we need a deep infusion of the renewing power of the Holy Spirit, not simply as an episodic moment mm. that Pentecostals celebrate back in the day, January the 17th, 1981, when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. But are you walking uh, with sensitivity to the Spirit? Are you hungering for his manifest presence? Do you love Jesus? Are you abiding in him, pursuing love and union with him? 
And then it's a leadership issue, you know, because really the leadership teams of churches are or become the church in microcosm. So if the leaders, you know, it starts with leadership. I think Maxwell's wrong when he says everything stands or falls on leadership. Dare I say it? Dare I contradict John Maxwell? Yep, <laughs> I just did it. But leadership is very important. It casts a shadow for good or for ill. And you can't authentically call people where you're not going yourself. You right. can't invite people into mission if you're missionally disengaged. You can't invite people yeah. into hospitality if you're an inhospitable, grumpy so-and-so. And so, you know, it's like... It's it's a deep question, and and so I think well, should it. You bring up good points, Bill, because I know in my own experience, it was interesting when I first came to Kelowna. The church was almost a replant. It was like 10, 12 people left, and so we were uh, kind of doing a replant, a rebrand, a re everything. But here comes this guy that's never worked within the four walls of the church. Really, I've you know I've only ever done missional work and. And I'm being asked to lead this group. And of course, so now I'm the fresh guy in town, right? And I'm preaching the gospel, the, the actual gospel. And, and, and we grew tremendously the first year. It was crazy. Lots of people coming. When it all crashed was when the gospel message got to the point where actually, no, I'm equipping you to go and be the gospel to the people and pretty soon we noticed people weren't coming anymore because they weren't <laughs> they weren't getting you know and i think that 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 plays to this a little bit you know if we don't if it's not a work of the spirit if it's not jesus giving us revelation you know i always say that there is no salvation without revelation so there's no mission without revelation and and i believe that that's part of our problem is that we've been trying to do mission without the revelation. And I've noticed, by the way, another observation is I've, I've met many, many people. I, I have good relationship with people that we would say are duns, which would, you know, that have walked away because they're frustrated. But the ones that I've noticed that have started a missional movement or started on mission again, weren't inspired necessarily by the Holy Spirit or by the gospel of Jesus. They were inspired by being hurt from the broken structure of the church. And some of those missions crashed and burned fairly quickly because they, because that's, you know, whether it's the established church or a missional church, I believe if uh, you hit it right on the head, if it's not Jesus doing the transformation within our hearts, it's where's it going to go? What's our motivation? No, exactly right. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's a Sunday school soundbite but it's profoundly and deeply true it's got to be all about jesus it's got to be jesusy jesus centered we've got to be about the business of following after him wholeheartedly so really we're we're not talking about re-engineering we're talking about a deep individual and collective renovation of the heart where our hearts are ravaged afresh by the love and tender mercy of jesus and we become besotted with Jesus. And the challenge is prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. But when you think the writer to the Hebrews says, let us fix our thoughts on Jesus, maybe in Hebrews 3, certainly in Hebrews 12, he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. 
and so that's the goal. So when we talk about mission, missionary sent, apostolos, being apostolic, Jesus is our great high priest, whoever lives to make intercession for us. He's a savior who saves us to the uttermost, and he's the apostle and pioneer. And more than that, he's got to be the one who has our affection. Other than that, we just become missional legalists. It becomes a task. And of course, you you know well that missional engagement is messy and it's heavy lifting, but it's got to be fueled with a love and devotion for Jesus. And so I think, is there a simple silver bullet for the North American ecclesial ills? No. If you and I find it, we'll become multimillionaires with a factory full of books and videos and digital downloads and conferences when we can reconvene once everybody gets vaccinated. But we've got to get fixed on Jesus. I mean, I think the issue is there is this, and you've you've alluded to it. You haven't unpacked it. There's a bifurcation of parachurch and local church. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what if the church is God's missionary? You know, what, what if the church, not just a bunch of wingnuts or enthusiasts are the missional outliers, but what if the church wakes up to the big idea that the church is the missionary? Why? Because God has a mission and the mission has a church. When I was a youth worker back in the days when I was rocking a mullet, I went down to London when I was in the old country and was part of a youth workers consultation convened by the Evangelical Alliance. And we sat in a room and we chased questions around the room. And we were pretty impressed with ourselves because we thought we'd found a good question. And the question for us as youth workers, recognizing that the fruitfulness of youth work, congregational youth work was largely uh, shaped by the congregational culture. So we asked a question and we didn't have an answer for it. What if, should our ecclesiology shape our missiology or should our missiology shape our ecclesiology? And we found a question, but we didn't have an answer. Mm. Uh, But the answer is the church is not the bullseye. Jesus is the bullseye. We're called to exalt him and we have to follow him on mission. So shapes and forms of church should follow Jesus and his mission. So what's the goal of a wineskin to contain the new wine of the kingdom, not as an end unto itself? And we've still got too much Sunday-centric spirituality, even in this pandemic moment. And we've got too many technicians who are professional Christians tinkering with the structures. You know, and therein lies a challenge. I'm a professional Christian. I'm paid to be a Christian. And that's a gift and a privilege and a spiritual hazard. And I think when we talk about the the nuns and the duns, it's it's no wonder that people say, I'm done with that, when they catch a glimpse of the beauty and truth and holiness and justice and compassion and tenderness and grace of Jesus. And then they see us lot and they go, wow. There's a radical disparity between the Jesus you espouse and the life you live. Now, of course there is at one level. Of course there is. Jesus, as Martin Luther called him, is the proper man. He lived the life of full-on obedience that we are completely incapable of without the power and enabling grace of the Holy Spirit. But I think the great apologetic amongst the nuns and duns must be a church that somehow resembles 
in some fashion, Jesus. So I think of two things. I think of Leslie Newbegin. So you've always got to quote Newbegin if you're a missiologist. He said, <laughs> the only hermeneutic of the gospel is a congregation of men and women who believe the gospel and live by the gospel. In other words, it's communitarian. It's yeah. a collective. And that we don't just preach a gospel, although we must, because it's the power of God, but somehow that gospel infects our community, because as you and I figured out a long time ago, uh, belonging precedes believing. And yeah. what kind of community is going to be an incubator for transformation? A Jesus-y community. I heard a preacher say that you and I both know and love. We are not a Mr. Rogers Church. We're a mixed martial arts church now right. you know that's uh, that gets a hee-haw from the rednecks in the congregation uh and understand in part what's trying to be said that we need to be militant in our pursuit of jesus yeah. but actually it's way wrong what we need is not you and i to look like a spirit-filled version of dwayne johnson the rock who can kick spiritual ass wherever we go. What we need is you and I to look like Mr. Rogers and yeah. behave like Mr. Rogers, someone who inhabits the goodness and beauty and tenderness and kindness of God. Now, lots of people along the faith spectrum and lots of people who say happily, I wear a bias that says nuns and duns are arrested by the life of the late Fred Rogers. Why? Because he was a good man. Now, I'm not espousing moralism. Barnabas in the scriptures is a spirit-filled man who's described as a good man. In other words, we've got to exhibit and manifest the goodness of God in this moment if we're going to see missional inroads in a jaded, tired Canada and North America. And you and I are in the Canadian mission field where People are, by and large, disinterested, yeah. secular moralists. So what's going to provoke them? Yeah. How, how clever you and I are with our sermons or our podcasts or our blogs. No. Uh, do we somehow consistently recognize in sinless perfection as a complete heresy? But do we somehow manifest the intriguing attractiveness of Jesus, the most attractive figure who ever walked on the planet. That's so good, Bill. I can't agree more. All right, that was episode one with uh, Bill Hogg. How do you guys feel about that conversation? I think something that really stuck up to me um, was when he talked about being a professional Christian, that, um, that it was a blessing, but also a spiritual hazard. And I think that was really, really good. I think it's, it's a real conflict of interest to risk, to, um, color outside the lines mm -hmm. when your livelihood exists within, within those lines. Right. And, uh, and I think that's a huge, issue within the church. And the other interesting thing it made me really think about is the fact that um, some of the, the duns I know used to be professional Christians. 
So I, I think that there's this place where if we're not careful, not only does it not allow us to follow the lead of God because we are um, beholden to the finances of humans, um, but I think at some point we break under the pressure of human expectation and and sometimes our failure to meet God's expectations. So mm-hmm. it was a really it was a really interesting. Uh, comment that he made. Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, the old Upton Sinclair quote: uh, "It's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it." So, <laughs> it's one of those things where, uh, when we're doing it the old way, uh, that's how, what that's what gives us our jobs the way the way they currently function. And to say, yeah, we should do something radically different that requires me not to get paid by this, that would be a, a hard conversion to make. Well, yeah, I think it. I think it's such a double-edged sword. I've lived in both worlds. So for the first 12 years of me being in ministry, professional Christian, uh, I didn't have a paycheck. I didn't have a payroll. I didn't have any of that. I did it because God asked me to do it. And there was a passion and authenticity that came with that. And then I, you know, for the next however many years, I was paid in a role. And it was, I always thought, oh, it's not going to affect me. Cause I, cause I, you know, I, uh, I've lived by faith in that way. What we don't realize is everybody lives by faith. It's not, it's not just, you know, and so I think the pressure of professional Christianism in, in being paid for a job, I think we lose the passion of the call or can lose, not, we don't all do it, but you, you can lose the passion of the call. And I know that's been my case for years. I, there's many times I've had to repent for that, um, you know, um, it affects your decision making. And, and uh, I, I think for for anyone, but I'll just say for me, for me to say it didn't, would not be um, being self aware. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, 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 it does. And until you can take that step of faith, I needed a clear and direct word from God for that timing for me this last time, because I had been for so many years with a salary. And so you have to, um, it tests your faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is linked to one of the other things that um, that Bill said, where um, most churches choose a slow death over deep change. And that could be one of the reasons why is that we're kind of attached. Um, leadership is attached to their positions. They're attached to their uh, their salary. They're attached to the even just the traditional way we do church to something about being conservative. We have to hold on to the conservative and conserve the the structure we have. It's really hard to uh, to be really innovative. And I think this is one of the reasons why building new communities is really vital. That, uh, you know, new wine requires new wineskins. And so it was one of those things where it's a lot easier to uh, to conceive a new baby than it is to actually raise the dead. And so um, I think it's one of the reasons that... Too. Well, yeah, it's a lot more fun too, yeah. <laughs> well, and that's that's the thing. If If, if we could catch that you know if, if the church could catch that you know this whole uh arg- a few years ago the modalic and sodalic expression right the person sodalic is the one that wants to go out the missionary the, the evangelist and the modalic are the ones that want in the temple in the you know that expression and and it i don't the two can coexist if they honor one another if they if they see their role and and see 
that God's call is different on every person. We there's no reason we can't support that. And I, I you know, I I just th- think so much. People need permission to um, to just dream and innovate and and go out and do it. And it's no less valuable. I think that's one of the big things is we think if you don't do church this certain way that you're not really a church. I remember sitting around the table in leadership meetings and people like in, in with other pastors and, and, and they're trying to figure this out. I remember when we had the youth church, I got, I got called before the ministerial of the town that I was in and which I fondly referred to as the Sanhedrin and they called me up and they wanted a, they wanted a description. They want to know, what are you? Are you an outreach or are you a church? We don't know what you are, so we don't know how to react to you or respond to you. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I was naive enough at the time not to realize, like, why, why is this question even being answered? Or mm-hmm. uh, question. So my, when I answered them, my answer was, well, we're winning the lost. We're discipling them, we're training up leaders, and we're sending them out. So by definition, I guess we're a church. Oh, well, there you go. Somebody said at the table, we can't support them. They're not an outreach. They're a church. And I thought that was when I had the <laughs> moment thinking, I didn't know there was a difference. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. so Because, of course, where... the disciples, after uh, seeing and, and, and meeting with the, the risen Jesus, their first reaction was to go out and sing four songs three of them or two of them fast and two of them slow and then lead to a, an offering. And then they had a, a 35 minute message. That's exactly the way that the yeah. disciples reacted first, uh, first off in, in starting the church. Right. Yeah. But let me give a little bit of interesting thing that happened to me. What I realized was in our fight for freedom, in our fight for our expression of the, of, you know, whatever youth church looked like, right. The way we did it. I realized that we also had some traditions that crept in after a while. When you do something, even if it's innovative, you do it for long enough, you're going to pick up some trend, mm-hmm. uh, some traditions. You're going to pick up some, this is the way we do it. And as soon as you do that, you're starting your slide to institutionalization. <laughs> the very thing that we didn't want, that we escaped, started to become that. And I just think that you need that new birth. You need those those new create creative ideas or those new expressions to always be coming out of to keep it fresh and to keep it real. And um, so I think it's God's design to do that. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, it's interesting that you use the word fight because that was one of the other things he said. Um, and I think sometimes mm-hmm. um, people can get excited about the possibility of the new and do feel like that the way that we need to do that is fight. And he talked about um, in the podcast that uh, it's not good that we see ourselves as martial artists, that actually we need to see ourselves as Mr. Rogers. And, um, and Mr. Rogers absolutely opposed um, oppression. It's so interesting. We, um, my daughter and I watched the um, documentary on Mr. Rogers and I was crying actually because I just we were in this time of upheaval and it was so beautiful and wholesome and um, and he was living in a time when people would pour bleach into their pools um, if people of color were in them and Mr. Rogers wasn't uh, he didn't fight that he didn't um, uh, take up arms and you know 
and and want to battle around that. Instead, um, he had someone come on his children's show, who is a man of color, who is a police or mailman or police officer. I don't remember which. Um, and then he shared a kiddie pool with their feet and shared a towel. You know, his way of creating a new way uh, wasn't to fight. It was just to subversively love in a blatant way. And I think that's Jesus too. So I think we have to be careful as we talk about these new expressions. And, yeah. and even as you learned, Mark, you know, you said um, we picked up traditions. And I think Alex and I have done that too. We've picked up some things that became new idols instead of um, just laying down everything and saying, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to follow the teachings of Jesus. I'm just going to love people well um, and demonstrate this opportunity rather than fight. So um, yeah, de and definitely learning from that, right? I think if we gather as a group of people who have resentment against a tradition that we grew up in, nothing healthy or good will come from that. Mm -hmm. right? No, that, that's, so. a, you know, for, there was a whole season there we called it church planning when it was actually splits and splints. You know, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't because somebody had a vision to plant a church. It was because they were running from a conflict. And yeah. so I think that we've come through that now. I, I believe we have uh, come through that season. And I believe there is far more openness to, you know, the missional movement really helped open the eyes of the church, the stuck, you know, the stuck ones in the church. And I think that it's helped, but I don't think we can stop there. I, th I think we have to, you know, because we can get caught. It can become old news. And and we kind of start fighting like it's got to be done this way. And that's when we're in trouble, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I really believe we just got to, I, I agree with you, Sarah, we just got to keep our eyes on Jesus, follow the teachings of Jesus, love well, and uh, the methodologies change, but his message doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so the methodologies can change. I'm a, you know, I'm a different person than I was back then either. So I lead differently. I see things differently. I whatever. And I can draw on those memories and have fond, fond memories. We did some amazing things. God blessed us with amazing opportunities to live out his kingdom in very unique and, and creative ways. And we saw many young people come to Christ. But that was then. I, I can't. I can have fond memories, but I can't try and re replicate that today, because I'm not the same person, and it's not the same season. But the gospel message I share and live, the, the gospel message that lives in me, is the same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and but it's manifesting differently today than it did once before. Yeah, Go, throwing back to that uh, MMA metaphor, I think it's really funny how this preacher. Um, like in another, or the same message, he actually says that the, um, he couldn't follow a God he could beat up. And, uh, and I think it's interesting that he wants to make this macho tough Jesus with well, that's the exact opposite of the actual gospel yeah. message. <laughs> the actual gospel message is, um, Jesus following the path of love and peace gets completely smushed by the religious system and completely smushed by the political system and, uh, ends up being crucified and, and overcomes death through death. And, uh, and so I think he completely misses the whole point of the gospel. If you think that Jesus coming to what butt is going to be the, uh, the, the culmination of this whole thing. And Jesus, um, especially when you look at those revelation passages, you know, the John looks to see a lion. He, and he, instead he sees a slaughtered lamb. And, uh, we have to realize that that is the, the path that we need to go forward. It's always the path of, of the slaughtered lamb of love, of compassion, and, uh, not necessarily, 
political control or authority or any of the sort of mechanisms that we'd like to, to leverage in, in the modern day. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, one more big thing that, that he pulled out of this uh, interview, he's talked about uh, that God has a mission and the mission has a church. And then he went on to talk about how our, ecclesi our ecclesiology, the way we do our church, should follow our missiology, the people that we're trying to serve. So the shape of our church and the form of the practices of our church, they need to be formed around the things that we do in church. What do you guys have to, to think on that one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> we agree. <laughs> we agree. We agree. Um, I, I think my frustration, and including with myself, is how much we let the form shape our function rather than what he's saying. Like it should, um, it, it's so hard to keep it um, focused on what it needs to be focused on. It's so easy to get, in other words, it's so easy to get pulled back into the form and, and lose the functionality of the gospel and of Jesus teaching. And um, when, when, and here's the thing, I think what it is, is, is this might be part of the answer is whenever you, you have something that's the gospel lived out in the purest of forms, it's an organism that grows because people want to be part of that. They want to be part of the life of Jesus. They want to be part of all that he offers. And, and when we provide that, people want to be part of it. So it grows. So you get more people. The more people you have, the, you got to organize those people. You can't, you, it, the, the natural flow of things, you, have, you start organizing. As soon as you start organizing, it takes a form. And as soon as we have that form, <laughs> we lose the original thing that brought us together, I think. It, the, the, it, we can. I'm not saying you always do, but I'm, it's, it's too easy to. So that's kind of, yeah, I was thinking about that when he was saying those things. I was thinking, oh, yeah, that easily said, not easily done. Simple, not easy. It's my favorite saying. So this brings me to that age-old question, uh, what if? What if? So what if we actually pulled on Mr. Rogers and actually learned to love our neighbors? What if we started a, a neighborhood block party group that cooked large quantities of food and supplied chairs and shade and tents and uh, gathered the neighborhood together so we can actually be a community again? What if every believer believed that that was their part of their expression of knowing Jesus and didn't rely on an organization to put all that together. What if we didn't define our Christianity <laughs> by whether or not we attend a building on a Sunday morning? What if we didn't define someone else's journey with Jesus as whether or not they attend a building on a Sunday morning? I think it's a mic drop there. I think it'd be fruitless to continue. <laughs> wow.